This is the Alarm Entourage. The slightly disjointed sound of Mike Peters working out the chords to a song that he plays on a guitar in a completely different key normally. He's on stage at the Epstein Theatre in Liverpool, sound checking for tonight's performance of the Hurricane of Change. Welcome to the Alarm Entourage podcast. I'm Gareth Jones and in a few minutes when Mike's finished working out those chords, I think we can probably get a chance to talk with him and see how the tour's been going. If he ever works out what these chords are supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, he's coming. I'm sitting in a dressing room that's very familiar to me backstage at the Epstein Theatre, Epstein Theatre perhaps. Well, I don't know which one it is because I've heard it Epstein a lot, especially with what's going on with Prince Andrew and oh, Jeffrey yeah. Epstein. <laughs> I think Americans tend to say Epstein, Brits tend to say Epstein, Epstein. don't I they? I always thought of Brian Epstein, the yeah, manager. That's, that's, how, that's how I've always thought it Yeah, was. and I think this place has got its name from Brian Epstein, so it's probably yeah. not the Epstein, but the Epstein. Because I performed here a long time ago and I'm very pleased to see that you're here Mike. I saw you performing in the not in this exact theatre but in Theatre Cloyd in North Wales yeah, doing, yeah. doing the Tommy Cooper show what a brilliant concept and superb show that was well to be in a play about a Welshman playing a Scotsman his manager that's me <laughs> in a place in Liverpool with an actor who's from Liverpool that was very complicated and yeah. then in Wales it's almost as perfect as you here at, yeah, uh, in Liverpool because yeah. Liverpool's been quite a big alarm town for a very long time hasn't it yeah, well, it's probably the place where it all started with the toilets. You know, the Alarm biography says it started in 1981, but that was a cover-up <laughs> <laughs> to hide the sins of the previous years. And really, we came here in uh, the summer of 77 to do an audition gig at Eric's and ended up playing with The Clash, and then that's when life really took off. So I've got a lot to be thankful for Liverpool. And I think it's, uh, it's always been a hard place for the Alarm to play, or even when we were 17 and we played at the Everyman Theatre or over the water in Birkenhead at the Hamilton, Hamilton Club. Club. And the yeah, fight the afterwards. The big fight, you know. Yeah. Coming from North Wales, you have to really prove yourself here, I think, yeah. in Liverpool to be accepted. And it took us a while, but I always remember there was a famous gig, I think it might have been 1982 and it was a cup final day and I think Man United might have been playing Brighton I think something like that we had an all day gig at the Royal Court with Mercenary Skank playing and all sorts of and we weren't really big enough to play the Royal Court but we thought pooling our resources on FA Cup final day might be something else and it turned into an amazing night and I think for the first time we got accepted in Liverpool as just being a great band rather than a band from over the water in North Wales. They called us woolly back then, didn't, didn't they? they? Yeah, and yeah. something worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, uh, was, it, was there a top rank gig we used to do in Liverpool, or am I confusing that with somewhere else? The, no, yeah, uh, yeah no, the, I think there was a top rank gig, but I can't. I don't know if it was called the top rank. But I think it's where the academy is now. I'm yeah. not sure, but if it was called the top rank, but. but uh, an important town for you, though, Liverpool yeah. for rock and roll, and, and for me, I yeah. discovered rock yeah. and roll here. A lot as of well. the gigs I went to see were at the university at, at, at the hall there, and Joy Division and the Buzzcocks, seeing them there, and and I'm coming to the Empire and seeing them. I'm seeing Tom Petty supporting Niels Lofgren in cool. 1977, which is a great gig to go to. 
and seeing Wishbone Ash playing here and fell asleep. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you would, yeah. <laughs> I think they had the supercharger of brilliant Liverpool bounce. I know, Albie, Albie Donnelly, yeah, the sax player. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And they opened for Wishbone Ash and sort of blew them off, really, because they had a lot of energy. And Wishbone Ash, I liked them at the time, but they changed guitarists and it wasn't quite the same. It was a bit sleepy. And I took full advantage of being Mr. Tyre. You know, I used to drive to gigs here and, and I had a Ford Cortina, as you know. Yes. And I used to fill it full of people and there would be people in the boot and on the bench seats all over the back and so I was always the one that drove people to and from the gig so I often I'd get to the gig and I'd be absolutely shattered from driving and I can remember driving home some night I remember going down to the Wallasey and what have you and on the Wirral and being confronted by a cow in the middle of the road really? you know, the old headlights were that powerful it was a bit of a foggy night I think we were both lost and it was like <laughs> and screeched to a halt and there's a cow an English cow staring me down it might have come from Wales the cow it might have got completely lost but uh, yeah all sorts of things happened and I think coming to Liverpool I came of age really yeah, you know, yeah came over yeah. with L plates of my mate John Sox sat alongside me so I could drive and then then you could eventually pass your test John Sox is mentioned in the spirit of 76 of course yeah. absolutely so it was a real breeding ground for my creativity not just as a musician but seeing all the musicians or would be musicians at the time people like Pete Burns and McCulloch and Wiley all just like normal kids on the street trying to get bands going fanzines making their own clothes and it rubbed off on everybody that was associated especially with the scene at Eric's and also being a North Wales band the nearest big city is either Chester or Liverpool but Liverpool's got so much more of a rock and roll heritage not just because of the Beatles but because of the docks the fact that rock and roll came into Britain through the docks here in Liverpool that it was something that we were able to plug into as fans and then as performers yeah well when when we moved to London in 81 we could have moved to Liverpool couldn't we just as easily or or we could have gone to Glasgow or Ireland even you know there were scenes happening in those cities that you didn't have in Chester that was still a town Liverpool was a city and our aspiration was that let's move to a city to make the energy we had internally in the band grow you know meet people that could foster that energy and it wouldn't turn into an energy that eats you up you know it's an energy that could flourish and as I say we could have easily come to Liverpool just as soon as gone to London but I think there's something magical about London as well so that's where we went You've got to go somewhere where the people are, basically, to get the momentum. And there's a population density here in Liverpool, Manchester, yeah. Sheffield, well, Cardiff, yeah. Newcastle, and London. You know, at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s, Cardiff didn't have anything really musically mm-hmm. going on. You know, that wasn't a city that we considered moving to. You know, no, there was no right. bands coming out of there. Yeah. There'd been the Glasgow postcard, Orange Juice kind of thing, and then there'd been the factory and Joy Division out of Manchester and Liverpool. It was the Bunny Men and War and Frankie and then London had it all going on and we met the Stray Cats in London in 1980 and that was probably the catalyst and you know we were here together in Liverpool the night after John Lennon was assassinated we played at Eric well it was Brady's then uh, on Matthew Street and I can vividly remember all the street covered in flowers and it was incredible and you know a lot of the turning points in our life happened here in Liverpool Agreed. Hey, you're back in Liverpool again. The last time we spoke in person was at Aberdeer. Yeah, the first night of the hurricane had changed. How many shows have you done so far? Do you know? 20, I think. How have they been? It's been pretty incredible, I have to say. I'm not as nervous as I was in Aberdeen when I spoke to you. I've played quite a lot of shows and it's been really a learning experience for me as well. Because every night something 
has been revealed within the music or within the dialogue and the performances. I've really enjoyed playing in the silence that the show has created in the audience and I think the audience have too every night I've gone out to sign and meet everybody and that's the big thing that's come across to me is everybody's enjoyed the silence to quote Depeche Mode (laughs) but for a lot of Alarm fans they've really enjoyed coming to listen and not just sing and participate it's a very different dynamic sitting in the theatre and being surrounded by silence and actually listening to the words rather than singing along and belting them out. It's a very different show. Um, I think it's created a little tidal wave in the alarm community of change, possibly. The subject matter of the show is about change. But we're here 30 years on from 18, and we're in 2019, and things tend to happen to me and the alarm and the music when we get to the end of decades. So... uh, I can just feel that a sense of something happening in me as a result of this show, the way I'm going to have to look at the future and maybe reinvent certain things and Hang on. take things on. You're not talking about splitting the band. <laughs> Split myself up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask, because I think everyone listening to this would have made that connection for a moment. Hang on, what's the date? What are you talking about? No, that was uh, 91. Wasn't 91, it? <laughs> yeah. It's just the start ago. of the next no, generation. But, but it's still in that time frame. It's in that moment where things happen you know so i think it's a time to look at everything you know things like the gathering we've been doing those for a long time and maybe it's the last one now you know who knows i mean i've enjoyed playing in this environment and looking forward to doing a lot more of that as well so going out into that stage every night and immersing myself into all those lyrics and what they bring out in me emotionally and what i try to bring out in the audience when i sing the songs and speak the words I think I've been affected by it as well, so I think it's a good thing. You know, there's a zero in the year from next year, so it's a chance to rethink things and look at it again, you know, and lay down some challenges, not just for myself, but for the audience as well. And, you know, we've had an amazing year. We've a storming American tour. We've had an album that's gone to number one here in the UK in the rock chart. And so there's some great foundations for new things to happen now, and I think it's good to make sure my antenna is up and firing and ready to receive what's going to happen we'll talk about what could happen next i know you've got all sorts of big plans i don't know how much you (laughs) are going to tell us right now but i want to recap on the tour first when this tour started you were nervous about the response i think you've seen that the positive response has happened the sales have been good but tell me about the show. How have you changed the show since Aberdeer? Have you dropped songs? Have you changed part of the narrative? What's different? I haven't dropped any songs. Some of the songs I've worked into a different way, into how I approach them. Because at first, it was a bit of guesswork how it was going to work. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I'd recorded all the songs, and I knew it worked as an ensemble piece with narration. But I wasn't quite sure how it worked with creating the sound effects and creating the soundscape to set the show in as well and so some songs I've changed slightly and experimented with a little bit to make the narrative flow and to make the music work at the time it comes in a live performance because a live performance has a different ebb and flow to a static performance on a CD or an LP when you're at home alone listening and I think got it really good on the record but I didn't want to abandon 
the flow for the concert so I thought well something's got to change a little bit and I thought it was mainly the music needed to adapt a little bit and to emphasize some of the lyrics really and so um, can you give me an example yeah a song like love don't come easy it's quite explosive on the actual recordings but in the concert I play it almost the complete opposite I almost silence it so that the words really come across because I think in that song it's the words that carry it Mm. it wasn't a massive hit record for the alarm or anything like that it was a single but it didn't catch a light in the same way as some of the other records had done and maybe that was because we were coming to the end of a cycle that we weren't quite prepared for or we knew we had to change and so I think the way I play it now it hits home lyrically for me as well and it's quite dramatic I think and that's a song that I think has really grown through all the performances and I'm still adapting it even now because I'm only 20 shows in um, it's the first time I've come up north, really, with the show. And there's definitely a connection happening in certain songs in certain places. It's set in Wales, but it lives in the UK and it lives in the world. It's a narrative, I think, that can work internationally as well. So, again, I'm mindful of a bit like a dramaturg, if you like. I went to see a Dolly Parton 9 to 5 musical in London once with Paul Syrah, who was the writer of the script for Oxymorons, which we staged in the New Wolsey Theatre in Ipswich. And he took me to see that musical because he'd come in to adapt it for British audiences. Uh-huh. So he'd taken the script, but reworked some of the lines, reworked some of the reference points, like the towns, he changed them to British towns, rewrote some of the comedy to suit British audiences. And I think that's what I'm starting to see in the show now. It's not a strict narrative as I originally conceived it, but I think I can adapt it slightly to the towns and the cities and the environments I'm going to take this show to in the future. That's interesting. Our stories, I say ours, our experiences as Brits aren't unique, are they? The post-industrial age that you and I went through in North Wales, you know, the destruction of steelworks and the mining community, which is a big part of the Welsh story, is also common to working-class people in the United States, the Europeans as well. And you forget that we think we're just telling them our story, but you're telling them your story. But the truth is they're hearing a reflection of their own shared history as well. Absolutely. I always said that at the time in 89. That's one of the reasons I could justify the lyrical content to the rest of the band members who raise questions about, you know, should we be singing about Wales here, you know, should we be singing more about America? Or, and I said, well, no, but by singing about what we know, which is what we've always done, you know, from Unsafe Building, was singing about our own life, our own journey, our own dreams, our own hopes. It was a reflection of other people's aspirations as well. Mm. And I, I said, by singing about Wales, we are singing about what's happening in the rest of the world. You know, only last week it was the anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down. But in Wales, we had our own wall came down with the language barrier, but it, it wasn't made of concrete. It was something less physical. And it was the same In America, people were coming to terms with breaking down racial barriers and things like that, and their walls have to be deconstructed as well. Mm. So the story of Hurricane of Change, as I'm presenting it, it's a universal story, and I'm feeling that even more on this particular tour. Because originally when I was taking the show out on the road, I thought, well, it's a show to honour 30 years of alarm history something that happened 30 years ago but it's not that it's about today mm-hmm. it's more about today than it was then I think some of the lyrics that were maybe slightly 
less understood or misunderstood at the time. They scream out of the speakers. They scream out of my voice. They scream off the stage. When you get to lines in certain songs like Hardland and New Frontiers, especially the second half, when you get to the upstream part of the story and you hear how the mighty fall and corridors of power, you can feel the empathy in the audience. It's tangible. And that's what I'm really enjoying here. It's something that I can almost find myself at times. I can stop the show and hold everyone for a second. And we all look at each other and thought, no, we're yeah. in this together, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we're in yeah. this moment right now. Yeah. And it doesn't stop here in the theatre. Yeah. It goes on at home. It's on our TVs. It's in the real life we're living. And it's an amazing energy to confront and to be experiencing every night. I saw a suggestion of that in America when you played Albany. You read the room, you know, every night you read the audience, you judge, do we go high, do we go super high, do we go unbelievably high, do we build slowly, you measure the room and adapt what you do, you don't just get on off Mike Peters, you know. No, no, no. And I'm not surprised that you're reading the room, because you're absolutely on your own with this audience up there. I think it's one of the bravest things you've done, because you're working really hard, you always work hard. incredible, yeah. It's so hard, it's the intensity, when I come off I'm absolutely smashed every night. You know, it's such an intense show. And also, you've got to contend with some things that still some people, they come and they're expecting a rock and roll gig. And they're like, they walk it in and what's going on? Which is, I think, again, it's brilliant to be challenging those preconceptions almost. And there's some shows where people come out, they want a night out, they want to go and get a beer from the bar. And they walk through the venue or they say something to their friend. And so I've had to contend with all that and try to bring it all along in the show without being Mike Peters of the alarm if you like yeah, yeah. I can't revert to type and go come on everybody because yeah, without giving the show away it's been on air now for a few weeks I don't actually address the audience until the very end and it's only after I've been on stage for two hours that I say good evening that's true I hadn't thought that but you don't break the fourth I, wall I, I walk on in character and I finish the set first and second oh, sets yeah. in character and it's only when I come up the encore that Mike Peters of the Alarm appears you know there's a, the Mike Peters character is on stage yeah. but it's really interesting and when I say well good evening Liverpool everyone goes wow he hasn't spoken to us all night you you almost feel and it's like you let the cork off the bottle then and all the emotion comes flooding out and people are on their feet and they're requesting all their alarm songs that they've wanted to hear and even though I say it's from 1981 to 1990 they're all back going my town neutral and this and they're going no they're not from it I'm trying to keep to the timeline but uh, by the time the encore we've bust out of the past and we're, we're living in the here and now it's an adaptive show because I remember when we were in the States on the Sigma tour, we did, I think, three gigs where meals were served for the audience and the alarm played. Yeah. And that's not something I've experienced over here in rock and roll yet, but is increasingly prevalent in America with more mature audience yeah. who haven't got time to eat before they get there, so they get to enjoy the show. So, you know, you're adapting what you do to meet the needs of a different audience, an adapting audience. And to sit in silence and subtly, intensely study a show is not something you ever get with an alarm gig but with a Mike Peters solo gig you can just take a moment to do that can't you? that's right yeah you know when I came out and I was honouring the declaration and strength 
albums I've told a lot of stories you know I'd speak for something like 30 minutes without playing a song telling it was just like telling the war stories like we would do and, and we'd still do we'd get together <laughs> and have a, a, a and, and they were very funny uplifting stories and I remember Steve Fultney helps with the website saying to me how are you going to confront Eye of the Hurricane and Change which is a bit darker parts of the journey that the alarm made in the 80s really and so I think that stuck me and that sort of led me to this Mm -hmm. way of telling the story in a more poetic sort of way walking on stage and not being the cheerleader sort of thing it's quite liberating for me and I do think that we have to look to the future the way the alarm community is getting older you know there's been a few people that we know who've passed away in these few weeks on this tour and I see it from fans coming up to me oh my brother always used to come or my sister and they're not here with us but I've come in their stead and can you sign this so I can put it on their grave, you know, that people are bringing that kind of stuff to me. And it makes me think about how we're going to carry on together, how we're going to live together side by side and, you know, grow older together, still say meaningful. Um, this has really awoken in me a sense that what we've got is really precious and we have to sort of nurture it more so than we've ever done before. I think that's probably the word I'm looking for now is how do we nurture the alarm audience for the future? You know, we've challenged it, we've uplifted it, we've broken it down, we've smashed it all up, we've built it all up again, but we've never really nurtured the future. And I think that's where I feel this tour is leading me in a way is to say how can we nurture the future? So, of course, that always means challenging things and changing things and moving things around and seeing what's coming next but I think having a meaningful dialogue in my imagination and my heart about how I'm going to progress and take the music forward is the time well if you're looking for strategies for nurture you're a dad you know, being a dad is a very definition of nurturing. You nurture your That's children right. to go off and be their own people, don't Absolutely, you? That's what you yeah. do. You give them the space, you let them be, you give them as broad a base as you can. I've seen it happen with your two. I'm not going to call the alarm audience your children, no. <laughs> but if you have to nurture them, you have to give them a way of setting them free and going off and doing their own thing. Is that? Yeah, I think so. I just feel like we need to look at certain ways we can play in the future that will still have meaning for the audience and, yeah. and possibly greater than just being a ritual of arms in the air and jumping up and down. Something is calling to me to say just the sense of even in the summer when we played, and you mentioned it earlier about playing some of the dinner theatres, you know the huge places with i mean we did it in the 80s we played chastain park with bob dylan and it was the night jimmy carter the president was there and it was a seated dinner venue for ten thousand people they were all at tables and they brought barbecues and were being served at the table and i was on stage trying to read the place and thinking it's bob dylan's audience that are older than us and we're the young guns the alarm in the crowd how are we gonna win in this environment i remember going out and stood on the tables in the middle of the gig and i asked everyone please be upstanding for the spirit of 76 and the first person to stand up was jimmy carter Perfect. so the whole audience thought the president stood up we better stand <laughs> so, so I used Jimmy Carter to help win over a whole audience. But again, that was Bob Dylan playing to that sort of theatre. And we're in that position now where we're playing a lot more seated shows. And funny enough, even at the gathering, one of the biggest requests we have now in the build-up to the event is not, can I get a ticket, can I get a seat? Right, yeah, yeah. As well, come on, Mike, was it the last one gathering? You did play for what? 
three and three quarter hours. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You know, Ab- absolutely. Yeah. That's it. And I think that again, this show is a two and a half hour, sometimes more fifty plus song experience. And so, I think people need to have a seat. And I think that the band is potentially better in a seated environment and it is in a standing room only and for a lot of our fans they want to jump up and down have a few beers and go crazy when the band come on stage and sometimes I think when you start at 100 miles an hour like often an alarm show does no, it's hard to always yeah, bloody yeah. start at that speed it, it's difficult to think where do we take it halfway through and often it's been to have a big like whew, let's go to an acoustic guitar and take all the electricity out of it and then we can build it all back up. And that's a big dynamic that we have employed for a long time. But I've really enjoyed playing these theatres and I would like to take the band into some environments where we can show the sides to the band that have made us and created the relationship with the audience because it's not always the anthems that have created the depth that has allowed us to have a relationship to this day with an audience that is still strong. It is the dawn choruses. It is the day the ravens left the tower. It is walk forever by my side from the original eras. And it is breathe from the modern times and psalm from Sigma. They're softer songs, but they really carry deep into the heart of the audiences. And so I just think as I get older, I want more space to play the songs that I think really carry the meaning for the alarm. You know, the audience who comes here time after time after time, they don't want to hear 68 guns. They want the depth, and sometimes we've got to find time for that going forward, I think. That's what's speaking to me at the moment, is to show more of the depth in the alarm, more of the songwriting and the lyrical structure that has created this band. Okay, talking about the future, I don't know how much you can tell me that (laughs) it's going to be announced on the website at some point... Let's talk about the immediate stuff that is known, first of all. You're off to the States and you're off to Norway fairly soon, aren't you? Yeah, Norway is like a traditional end of year. I've been doing for seven years, I think. This is is the seventh year running. And it's a great week that, you know, to be honest, selfishly, I go out with just Jules and the kids and I take my acoustic guitar and I just play what I want to play and take requests. It's not a hurricane of change, it's very loose and I just respond in the environment and they're great shows and then I end up two nights in Bergen which people come from all over Scandinavia, some people fly in from Britain. It's very close to the Christmas actual holiday this year so that probably restrict European travel because you might miss Christmas Day if, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not booked on a flight like I have already but it's a brilliant week weekend and we stay in a fantastic hotel the first show is a Mike Peters show and then it closes and opens again and there's like a Led Zeppelin band called Gentle Groove that play and they're from Oslo and they're all huge alarm fans so so every time I go they've learned a different alarm song last year it was D-Side and then the year before it was Spirit of 76 and the year before that was something else and so every year there's a song keeps getting added to the repertoire and they all pile on and end up at the end of the set so it's a brilliant mad Norwegian Norwegian weekend. And it's Love a, the idea of And that. it's for me, it's a great end of the year. I can let my hair down, have a bit of fun. It's not intended to be like an intense gig. It's great. It's just brilliant fun. And the audience sing along every word. And it's a great weekend, a great way to end of the year. And then it's into the new year. And, and obviously, we've got the gathering. And, uh, what can you tell me about the gathering? <laughs> Is it secret still? 
Well, no, not really. Yeah, got yeah, yeah. sorted? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I've got an idea to do something different on a Friday. I think Saturday wanted to be a big celebration because, you know, again, I think the gathering, now we've been having international events like we had the gathering in the midsummer in Cardiff. That was a pretty amazing night in Cardiff. And the gathering was created, really, when I was first diagnosed around that time with cancer. And it was built on the tradition of having an end-of-year gig for the alarm. And originally it was set up in December, and it was only in the third year running that it moved into the January, because I ended up on a big, massive tour with the Saw Doctors that clashed the dates. So we put it into the January, and the January triggered a whole mass of people who could come who couldn't come before Christmas because they've got family commitments, work commitments. And then in the January, it took on a new identity of almost being a cure for the post-Christmas blues and when everyone gets down, when the new year starts and all the partying season's over and it's like, oh, it's a long way to go through a whole year. So the gathering gave everybody something to look forward to. And it was at a time when I was obviously rebuilding and re-establishing myself as an artist and the alarm as an entity and as a group. And it was the biggest gig of the year. And we were playing small venues, you know, at home and abroad. And so in the last few years, especially since Equals and Sigma came out, the Alarm started to play big gigs around the world. And so there's less need for what the gathering is. And I'm also aware that as the economy changes and Brexit falls upon us all and whatever the dynamic of that's going to be, in years to come, I'm not sure it's going to be so easy for people to travel to the gathering. And make that journey because who knows what our borders are going to be like in 2021, 22. And so I think, again, that there are impacts that, that I'm aware of that might have a big part to play on how people can come to events like the gathering. So maybe this could be the last gathering in Wales. Maybe we have to think about doing it at another time of year or taking it abroad, taking the gathering on tour, making it work. I'll go to you. Maybe it's the role reversal was the fans went on tour, did the suitcases, did the hotels, did the trains and the planes and the automobiles. Maybe it's time for that to change and we take it on tour. So it's not a definite, but it's just something in the back of my mind with everything that's happening, all the changes that are going on that are going to make things like European travel not as free and easy as it has been and the whole point of the gathering was exactly what it is everyone made a journey to come to this place so it might not be so easy in the future so let's see I reckon that's already started because the gathering is a convention and it's a festival over a weekend and I think the Sigma tour was a touring festival in America with the three acts playing you're kind of taking a show on the road. I mean, this is a show, not just a rock and roll concert, Absolutely. a show. So I think it's already begun. I'll be very yeah. interested to see what happens it, to the Me too, because yeah. like you say, the band's become a lot more successful again in the last couple of years. Mm. And playing big shows in New York and playing huge venues in Boston and, yeah. and selling out in Germany and all kinds of things. And there's less need to come to Wales, see the gathering, because we are spending a lot of time in other people's communities. And you've done it for how many years, the gathering? 29, this one. 29, it? yeah, it is, isn't yeah. it? 28, something yeah. like that, yeah. So, yeah, changes inevitably. Yeah, it, it's, it's your middle through. name, Mike Change. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I think the gathering just, we want to have a blowout this year and make it amazing for everybody. It's been interesting because, again, coming out in the third phase of the show 
It's all requests. Yeah. And that's been really interesting to see what songs get asked for every night after night after night and which ones are, like, top of the list. And some of the songs that get requested the most, we hardly ever play. Yeah. So maybe that's an indicator of what uh-huh. might happen at this year's gathering. Uh-huh. And so, again, it's really great to get that sort of feedback direct from your audience and everyone who's come to the hurricane of change they know they're not coming to necessarily hear 68 guns or where we're hiding off the radio you know they're not a passing audience like that this is people who are deep alarm mike peters fans and they've come to hear the deep stuff from the catalog and there's a lot of songs on show during the set that people don't even know you know they're that deep so it's amazing you know and as i think smiley came to see me on the second night and said I mean, I don't know how you pull it off, you know, for the first 40 minutes, you're playing stuff that nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. And he was going, but they're right there. And it's yeah. like, yeah. It's so what you want. You want more new input. New yeah, input. exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's oh. been great. And the audience have been patient as well and open-minded to come in and listen to what's going on as well and soak it all up. And I think we've all changed as a result. Just from the people I've talked to at the end of the night, everyone's been, this is a, one of the most amazing tours that we've been part of in the alarm history so yeah you have to sort of think wow that's significant you see all the messages on twitter and facebook and it's been amazing you know there's of course there's always going to be some people who want fists in the air and all that kind of thing which is amazing because when we come on stage it's almost like a trigger we want to release everyone's emotions when you come on stage and let them get all those pent-up things that they've had when they've been suppressed at work or finding it hard to survive and feed the family or get through the day and you come to a log it's euphoric experience let's all get up to and celebrate life and well, you've done that for 30 something years and you will do it again of course, but at yeah. the moment you're doing well, something else celebrate that it happens every night but it comes when you don't yeah. expect it yeah. on this show and i think that's good and so Again, it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds for us as it develops. I do know a couple of things. You're taking this to America? Yeah, I've already announced a couple of shows. One in New York at Sony Hall, which is a surround sound music system. So that's going to be an incredible event, especially with this kind of show. Brilliant place to hear it and see it. And going back to UCLA, which is very historic from Alarm point of view, and playing the James Bridges Theatre and showing the White Count film giving that a US premiere which would be great for all our American fans to see over there and we're about to announce a show in Boston which is really special at the Wang Theatre Bosch Centre which is where the alarm recorded electric folklore in 1988 yeah it's going to be a special show there'll be a night. welcome for you in Boston <laughs> so, yeah. the last show in Boston was special was the tour. I mean they were all good but that was something super it special it was a massive show that night yeah it was brilliant just a peek forward to the summer of next year we talked loosely about the gathering I don't know how much you can tell me about how far advanced you are in planning what would happen in what's normally Snowdonia Rocks or Zipworld Rocks or what it's going to be this year. Can you hint at yeah, anything? We've announced Snowdon Rocks. That's going to be like a more of a boutique festival in the shadow of the mountain. And it's in a secret location, really because we want it to uh, get overrun, because we wanted to keep it really intimate, and it allows us some great paths up and down Snowden, and we can keep the love, up, strength, the family together. Great place for music, whatever the weather, it's amazing. So we're really excited about that. You can glamp there. We're going to have all sorts of spin-off events during the day, and it's going to be something else. I'm really looking forward to that. It happens in May. And then in the summer, I'm going to take Hurricane Change into America, into the Heartlands, and some festivals in Europe as well. I'm 
lots of other possibilities. There are always <laughs> possibilities. On the horizon. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it this year. We've got four alarm dates in March in Glasgow, Manchester, London and Birmingham. They're going to be the last gigs for some time by the alarm. So mm. when you say some time, some time. That's all you're going to say. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Where is it? It's okay. always June the 5th, 2021. Yeah, and we know, <laughs> yeah, we know why that's an important day. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to leave him thinking about that. You've been listening to the Alarm Entourage podcast. I'm Gareth. He's Mike. Mike, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Gareth. And is it too early to say the Dolly Clowen? No, it's never too early for the Dolly Clowen. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody.